This is PhotoBizX, episode number 499, and today is a fun interview with a photographer who kind of stumbled across his perfect niche and went on to create the perfect kind of content to attract the kind of couples that resonated with what he was putting out there, specifically geeky and introverted clients who are looking for a photographer who understands them that can capture their wedding perfectly. I'm talking about Gary Pope of Love Long and Prosper Photography. That interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast-track your success. Welcome to the PhotoBiz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here, photographer, interviewer, and host of the Photo Biz X podcast, where I help you create a more successful business faster by interviewing photographers and business experts from around the world. And that's exactly what's happening today. I know you're going to love what Gary shares in the upcoming interview. He has spent a fortune on SEO. <laughs> he would even say wasted a lot of that money. He utilizes Facebook and social media in ways that I hadn't really heard before, where he's almost pushing the boundaries of their terms of service. And he has a very soft approach when it comes to lead generation. He shares an absolute ton in this one. I know you're going to love him, his work, his website, and what he shares. So stick around for that. It's coming up in just a minute. If you didn't catch last week's episode with Alison Redman, and you are a portrait photographer, or have any inclination to be shooting videos or working overseas as a photographer, you need to get back and have a listen to that one. Alison is doing incredible things. She has a business that is based in both Saudi Arabia and the United States. She photographs these incredible sand dune sessions with not only expat families, but now local Saudi families. She shares how she got into that market and how it's continuing to grow and why she has two separate price lists for two separate markets, doesn't offer video in Saudi Arabia, but only in America. It's a really interesting story. She's a fantastic guest, shares a ton, and that's why I asked her back for this follow-up and second interview from last week. So get back and have a listen to Alison Redman if you haven't heard that one. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Just before we do jump into this interview today, I did mention earlier in the month that there was an upcoming course. If you are a photographer looking to introduce pet photography to your business, well, that's happening on Thursday week. Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. The course will be presented by Kirsty McConnell. She's been in business for years and is very successful as a pet photographer. She was based in Australia, now living and working in Italy. She's also the co-founder of the Pet Photographers Club and she's put together this training for you if you are a wedding or a family portrait photographer and you're looking to introduce pet photography profitably and successfully very, very fast to your business. So this is all about introducing the pet photography genre to an existing business. And the beauty of what Kirsty is going to be sharing is it's going to help you fast track the whole process. She's going to share which treats you should be using for your pet photography sessions, the best leads to make post-processing super fast, the must-have shots to maximize your wall art sales, the best language to use in your copy and calls to attract the best clients, which businesses to partner with to grow your pet photography side of your business super fast. And it's different to what I thought it was going to be. And she's also going to share how to have pet owners actually book you now, what reason you need to give them to encourage the booking now. This is all business focused. There will be some tips and tricks around the photography side of things that will be specific to pet photography to help you get going there. But if you love pets, if you love dogs, and you keep hearing the interviews with success stories from other pet photographies, this will be the perfect way to get you into that genre if you've been considering adding it to what you're doing right now. The training will be presented live via Zoom. It should be between 90 minutes and two hours, including a Q&A session at the end. The cost is only $97 US dollars. 
but that price will double after the live training has been presented. You can get more details and register over at photobizx.com forward slash learn pet photography. So it's photobizx.com forward slash learn pet photography. And if you register before the live training, you will also get the bonus that Kirsty is offering. And that is a pet photography portfolio review to make sure that you are photographing the right kind of things to maximize your sales. So this isn't a, oh, your photos are lovely type of review. This is no, these are the shots you're missing. These are the shots you need to add to what you're doing right now to start profiting from your pet photography. So if you register for the live training, you'll get that video portfolio review from Kirsty after the live training. Ideally, that will be with one of your first clients once you've done the training. Now, of course, if you are already a successful wedding or portrait photographer, you could probably work this stuff out over time yourself. You probably, well, you will know how to photograph already. You know how to run a business. So yeah, you can do this alone. The whole idea of this training with Kirsty is you shortcut a whole lot of the stuff, the trial and error. So you don't need to work out you know, which streets are the best ones to use, which leads to use, which shots are the best sellers, what locations to go to. How do you actually speak differently to a pet owner as compared to a family or wedding photography booking? These are the little things that will take so much time and they're the ones that Kirsty are going to shortcut for you. So again, more details and to register over at photobizx.com forward slash learn pet photography. It's an absolute bargain at $97. And I should say, if you do register and you can't make the live training, yes, I'll be adding a standalone course with all the content from Kirsty from that live session. It'll all be available on the photobizx.com website. You still will get access to the portfolio review if you do register before the live session. If you look on the registration page, you'll find your local time. I've tried to find a time that will suit you no matter where you are in the world. But if you can't make the live session, you will have access to the standalone course immediately after, well, shortly after the live presentation, plus all the the slides, the PDFs, any handouts, it'll all be available to you there. You won't miss out on anything. And if you do miss that live training and have follow-up questions for Kirsty, you can send them to me. I'll make sure they get answered and added to the course material as well. So you won't miss out on anything at all if you register prior to the live training, plus you get that bonus portfolio review. All right, that's it about the Learn Pet Photography course. It'll be perfect if you've been thinking about adding pet photography to your business and just haven't had a chance or didn't know where to start. You're listening to Photo Biz Exposed with your host, Andrew Helmich. Just quickly, before we jump into this interview with Gary, if you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Gary. I am saving a portion of the second half for premium members only. The good news is you can access the full interview today with Gary for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. There are more details about that at photobizx.com forward slash try. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is a Connecticut-based wedding photographer in the US. He started his wedding photography business in 2017 after learning photography and video in his stint as a board game YouTuber. Yes, you heard that correctly. He was an influencer in the board game space on YouTube. Today, on his fantastically branded website, he clearly targets and serves geeky and introverted clients. He is the self-proclaimed expert opposing awkward people and couples. He trades under the business name Love Long and Prosper Photography, an obvious play on the phrase made famous by Spock from Star Trek. I'm talking about the talented and who I am thinking and predicting is a savvy business operator, Gary Pope. And I'm wrapped to have him here with us now. Gary, welcome. Hey, thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Mate, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. How did you get into this, this brand of serving awkward and introverted couples? Well, I went down the rabbit hole of doing what a lot of folks suggest you to do, which is like find your ideal top clients. And um, like, I don't know if any of you guys ever heard this, but it's like when you go down that hole where it's like, hey, figure out who your favorite clients are, who you've worked with in the past, draw up some avatars, some fake people make like go through the entire steps of like 
what they like, what their jobs are, what their wedding's even going to be, in fact, and uh, draw up those po- folks. And I did that. And it turned out for me, all of my favorite couples I've worked with in the past were all the geeky ones. They were all right up along lines of like the things I like, which is like board games, video games, anime, all that sort of stuff. And also kind of worked out too, because they make decent money and stuff like that. So they're able to actually pay for weddings. Their interests also align with their wedding. So like they try to incorporate the hobbies into the wedding. And just like myself, I'm an introvert and I hate taking photos, which is why I'm behind the camera. So it's one of those things where just like, it kind of worked out where it's like uh, figuring out who my ideal client pointed me in the right direction of doing that. So did you do courses or did you hire someone? Did you do something online to work out who that perfect avatar was? So initially I took a course. Um, I'm not sure if you would like me to talk about courses specifically. Sure. Yeah. You're welcome to. Yeah. So the course I took is uh, Ben Hartley's booked solid course. Fantastic guy. His course is absolutely fantastic. While as a heads up, the course wasn't entirely about rebranding and all that stuff, but it did go through a decent amount of like finding your ideal client and stuff like that. It taught you some exercises in it. And I kind of like took it up to like the 11th level where it's like um then i did like a huge deep dive on it because i like you said in the intro i used to be a uh, influencer in the board game space i had a lot of connections where i can actually ask a decent chunk of folks like hey what are some things you're looking for in your wedding photographer since you're geeky introverted i even like literally pulled folks on names and stuff like that i literally didn't even come up with the name myself i pulled a bunch of people and someone suggested uh, me that name and I owe them a wedding. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, but pretty much what I did was I actually then reached out to like, I had my target audience and I kind of then reached out to that target audience and I asked them a bunch of questions that would uh, pretty much help me guide along the ways of how I could serve them best and stuff. And then everything else, because I'm a geek myself, I figured out <laughs> a lot of the other things myself that putting it together, puzzle pieces and stuff. Not, so did you, I'm assuming the answer is yes, have an audience that you could actually go and ask these questions to? Was that from the YouTube days? Yes. Yeah, that was from the YouTube days because as a heads up, I didn't have like a crazy big following. So if folks are like, oh, well, I don't have a following. So how am I supposed to get those sort of questions answered for myself and stuff like that? I'd have that crazy big of a following. My YouTube channel was about 1.5K at the time of me doing that. My Twitter following was like, I think like a thousand folks or 800 folks or something like that. So I was just really just pulling that. So it's one of those things where that's what I was utilizing, but it's not something crazy that other people can't utilize themselves. There's a million Facebook groups out there for literally everything under the sun where you could pull folks for under. I actually even also did that as well. And actually a good amount of my results were actually from Facebook groups as well, like going into those board game groups, geek groups, anime groups, cosplay groups and stuff like that and asking questions there. So um, yeah, I got a ton of information from those things as well. well. Can you give us an example of some of the questions you're asking to help form your website or your brand? Yeah. So a couple questions I was asking was, for example, besides the help me figure out my name, it then also boiled down to, hey, can you guys think of any phrases from movies, shows and animes and stuff like that, that would be, I guess you could say interesting and relatable to you in ways. So I can actually then not only look at that phrasing and look at that wording and stuff like that, but it was also good to just see what shows and what things I should actually start leaning towards with things. And that also leads into why like Harry Potter actually became a very big staple and a very big like starting point in terms of like, I guess you could say, even niching down into the whole geek side of things as well, where it's not just about geeks. It's now it's like, oh, now this is also the guy that's for Harry Potter wedding. So um, so that's what helped a lot. And next on my list is now is next Star Wars. And I think after that is Lord of the Rings. So, but yeah. Love it. I love. So did you find, I mean, in the beginning there, it sounded like, you know, you were talking to yourself in some regard, you know, you're geeky, you're introverted. These are all personality traits that you had that your target clients were going to have. Did you find, let's say Harry Potter, for example, were you not a Harry Potter fan and had to go and learn about it to utilize that brand? I liked Harry Potter. I wasn't a fan, like a huge fan of it. Like I wasn't like, uh, I would even go as far as to say that if I was like going to Universal Studios right now and it's like, hey, Gary, what do you want to do at Universal Studios? I'll probably go do all the rides before I went to the Harry Potter section and stuff like that. So when people think that I'm a specialist in it, they would naturally all of a sudden immediately assume that, oh, I'm a huge fan of the movies. I watch them all. I've read all the books. I've read all the books. I've watched all the movies, but I was all just, you know, younger years and stuff like that. But what has caused me to be a specialist in it nowadays is that I'm kind of leaned in it 
when it's geared towards weddings. Like, for example, if you was to say, hey, Gary, which book did they do the Unbreakable Vow in? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's Half-Blood Prince. And that's just because I know that because every other wedding that does a Harry Potter wedding, they want to do the Unbreakable Vow. So that's just something I know that's wedding related. So that's really all you need to know at the end of the day. And then over time, you'll learn more things and you're not a specialist at first when people first hire you for it. You just learn it and then you become a specialist over time. I, I consider myself a specialist. I've only been doing it for about a year and a half now. So, yeah. So is the new website only a year and a half old or you're a specialist in Harry? Yeah. Oh, is that right? I started rebranding in January of 2021 and that site wasn't done until about May of last year. And then since then, so that, that's what makes this even crazier is that when people are like, oh, so you're a specialist in doing like Harry Potter weddings and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. And in that short amount of time, I've done this year alone, I've done six Harry Potter weddings, like five or six Harry Potter weddings or something like that. And that's like, that's what couples are. They're like, hey, we want a Harry Potter dude here and we need someone who's going to know all the uh, ins and outs. They're going to be able to edit like Patronuses into photos. They're going to be able to do little tricks like that. They're going to know all the geeky quirks and stuff like that. They're going to know what to take photos of at the wedding and designs and everything. Yeah. So yeah, you'd be surprised how quickly you switch your brand and stuff. Wow. I love, I love that I even asked you the question and that it actually fits because like on your website, you've got the ultimate Harry Potter wedding guide. And here you were a couple of years ago. I mean, you were into Harry Potter, but you weren't like a, a massive fan. Yeah. But now you've become the expert. I love that. That is so cool. Yeah. People are always surprised <laughs> when they hear about that. They're just like, wait, so you haven't been doing this for like, eight years being a Harry Potter dude. So like that. It's like, nope, nope, year and a half, <laughs> year and a half, two years. Um, you touched on the fact you've done, I think you said six or eight Harry Potter weddings this year. How many weddings are you shooting each year? What's your target? Weddings I'm booking myself personally is roughly about 25. Like it's like 25 weddings at like maybe about midway through the year. But then by the end of the year with last second bookings, it ends up being around like 28, 30 weddings or so. This next year is actually going to be a lot less, I feel. But that's also because I've increased my prices drastically. Last year, my average wedding was around $4,000 to $5,000-ish. While this year, my average wedding is around $7,000 with my packages going up to as much as 15 k which I have booked, so... Fantastic. Awesome. So is revenue around a hundred thousand? Uh yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's uh around like last year was around a hundred K. This year's I think it's gonna end the year probably around like a hundred and thirty K somewhere around there, hundred forty K. Unreal. So this is your full time gig. Is it just you in the business? Yep. 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 Full time. I've been full time as of September twenty twenty one. Okay, so not that long either. Unreal. Yeah. What were you doing in addition to the photography before you jumped to full time? So I was doing IT work and it kind of worked out perfectly because the pandemic happened. I mean, it sucks to say where where it's like, oh, like, because the pandemic has screwed up a lot of lives. It was a really bad thing. But for me, because I was doing IT, it didn't allow me to work from home. So it actually was kind of a good situation for me because it allowed me to not only do my day job, but like I had a lot of free time at that point. So I was able to actually work on my business at the same time. And even though I couldn't go out and shoot photos during the pandemic and stuff like that, I've been um, bad, but um, I still was able to at least do a lot of things on the back end, which is why I was able to rebrand, uh, do all those uh, things and stuff like that. Wow. And how did you make come to the decision, okay, I'm going to quit the IT job because I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, that was a stable job. You had to give notice and that was it, that the ties were cut. How did you make that call? When did you know it was, it was the right time? Two things happened. The first thing that happened, which I told myself, hey, once you reach this goal, quit. And that was when I was getting a consistent amount of leads. Like I was getting like, I can't remember the exact number, but it was pretty much along the lines of like, I was getting like a good 20 or so leads every single month. And that like, if I'm even booking like two or three of them, then I'm fine. I'm good. I can pay my bills. I can pay my taxes, pay all my business expenses and everything's perfectly fine and dandy. But I chickened out <laughs> So when I actually reached that goal. When I reached that goal, I held that for about, I think, four to five months while I was consistently getting like 20 plus leads every single month. And then what ended up happening was, was that the thing that actually got me to quit was when I realized I had enough clients and they were like, hey, Gary, we want to book something. Can you book it on this weekday or whatever? And I'm just like, no, I can't. I have work. And then it then started getting to the point where every single weekend, 
for like months straight, I was just doing nothing but engagement sessions. And I was just like, oh, this is lame. <laughs> like I said, my all it's one thing if I'm doing weddings, that's one thing. But if I'm just doing spending my entire weekends doing a bunch of engagement sessions, I, that kind of like it's not good because I'd rather be at home with kids and stuff like that hanging out as opposed to doing engagement sessions. So that was the main driver that actually forced me was just I wanted to get my time back. Yes. Got it. Got it. You mentioned the kids. Are you married as well? Yes. Yep. Married. Been married for a year now, actually. But we've been living together for about like, actually, we lived with each other through the pandemic, which was kind of like one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, we could work. <laughs> we, we can survive the <laughs> pandemic together. Then I think I think this could work out. Um, but yeah, I got a uh, wife, two kids. Yep. Uh, seven and nine. Nice. Nice. So when you had the discussion with your wife about quitting the IT job, you know, was she scared? Did she have an income as well? Or was it all going to rest on you? How did that work? So I am blessed because my wife is a trooper <laughs> to be dealing with me. Um, so pretty much what we did was that we pretty much agreed on, hey, if I'm going to actually quit and do this, we have to, one, she actually has to become the breadwinner. Because when folks hear like, hey, you're making uh, 100K plus in sales and stuff like that. Um, when you boil down the numbers, that's not $100K in your pocket that you could spend. <laughs> so um, if that was the case, then, hey, she probably wouldn't even have to work or anything like that. But that's not the case. Uh, so she had to become the breadwinner. And she actually was because she got promoted. She went from being a teacher to a dean. So she was making good money at that point. She was actually able to pay all of our bills and stuff like that. Now, that doesn't mean that I wasn't contributing anything. Pretty much what it turned into was that while she was paying the main bills, I then at that point became like, hey, handling debt and future investments, any spontaneous things we want to do. Like if we want to all of a sudden go on a little vacation or something like that, that's coming out of my pocket. Even though we technically got married last year, we're actually having our wedding next year. I'm paying for the whole wedding. So it's like little things like that, which makes this all work out at the end of the day. Because and not only that, it's also one of those things where she also understands that at the end of the day, I'm trying to grow this business big enough that I actually want her to quit. So it kind of sucks that she has to deal with like this little stuff for like the next like few years, something like that. But hopefully in a few years, it turns around where it's like, hey, you quit if you want to. <laughs> you, you, you've, uh, you've been uh, pulling your load for quite some time now. So uh, take a break. <laughs> so. Fantastic. So what do you see like in five years time? Do you see, uh, you know, multiple photographers shooting under your brand? Is it or would you just have higher prices and, and more shoots? Both. <laughs> so um, I'm actually currently working on both of those at the moment right now. This past year was a real big growing year for me finding associates because to work with my brand, I want to also make my associates work with my brand as well and make it fit with my brand perfectly so that I'm able to charge a premium for my associates. Because when a lot of folks hire us, they have associate photographers. It's like, hey, I charge normally like four to 5K for a wedding. If you're going to hire one of my associates, it's going to be like two to 3K or something like that. I want to be able to charge four to 5K for my associates because their team I curated. And not only is it like a really good squad of photographers, they're also a really good squad of photographers that are personable. They're not going to be the kind of people that stand in the corner, don't say anything. They're going to be joking with you guys and having a good time throughout the entire wedding. And then on top of all that, they also, of course, have to be geeks. So it fits with the brand perfectly. And it also is one of those things where it's really hard to find associates. So that's why I've been working at this past year. And it's just one of those things where it's works out perfectly because when people are looking at me, if I'm too high priced and if I ever want to raise my prices even more, then it still works where if they're talking to me, they're like, oh, we can't afford you at a higher price because I'm trying to be 10K by like next spring-ish, a 10K average. But if I do that, then there's going to be, of course, a lot of couples that are like, oh, you're too high for our budget. We wish we could have worked with you. And I'm like, hey, guess what? I got all these other geeks right here. <laughs> That'll be perfect for you. So um. See, I'm trying to do both actually. In five years, it'll be the perfect world is that I'm shooting like 10 weddings a year. Uh, Average wedding is anywhere from 10 to 15K. And then I have like a team of like at least like 10 associate photographers. And they're probably doing like 80 to 100 weddings a year. That's a perfect world to me in five years. Got it, got it. uh, We'll see. (laughs) I love it. I love the plans. I love the outlook. And you, I mean, for the listener and for me, who's unaware with Connecticut, I imagine you have a big population that you can serve in that area. Yeah. Connecticut's a little bit of a cheat code, to be honest. <laughs> um, not that it's a the best market for wedding photography and stuff like that. If you're in New York or places like San Diego, where 
Like I wouldn't be shocked if the average wedding photographer there is like 8K on average. So it's not that crazy. But one of the things that's really good about Connecticut is that we're in between three really big states for weddings. We're in between Boston, uh, Massachusetts with Boston weddings, which those uh, get really big weddings. Uh, We're in between New York, which is really big weddings as well. And we're also um, uh, surprisingly, not a lot of folks know about this, but Rhode Island's a really big wedding spot as well. And we're an hour and a half to two hour drive from all three of those places. And on top of that, having our own Connecticut weddings and the other thing is that a lot of people that live in those three places, they have second houses or their first houses in Connecticut. So it's like, it's a very weird spot where people wouldn't think of it when just looking at a map. It's just like, like, oh, what's some really good spots to have a wedding business at? Connecticut surprisingly a really good one. But with that being said, I am interested in actually expanding to the point where I would actually be in a perfect world in two years. I might only do like two to three weddings in Connecticut. And then the rest of them are all over the place. Right. And when you said that, you know, like Rhode Island, it has big weddings. Do you mean like a large number of weddings or the weddings there are big weddings with big budgets? Uh, Big weddings with big budgets, because a lot of the areas are like huge seaside mansions where just to rent the place alone and like get a catering team and stuff like that. You're probably talking words like on the low end, like 50 to 60 K (laughs) like, and that's like on the low end. that's like just to get your foot through the door. And there's plenty of places like that in New York, on in Newport, Rhode Island, for example, and also Boston. So it's one of those things where it's like big budget. So people could definitely afford a higher price photographer in those situations. Got it, got it. So are the geeky and introverted couples having those kinds of weddings too? Uh, yeah, surprisingly. Not everyone is, which is why I kind of want to branch off into two separate businesses where there's the high-end luxury end and then the like middle grade, like, hey, associate photography side of things. Because a lot of geeky couples, they're willing to, they're not having a grand, huge wedding. And that's actually what I dealt with a lot this year was that they're not having super big, crazy weddings. And they're not like spending a ton of money on their wedding, but they're willing to spend above average for the wedding photography because they definitely want that geeky touch when it comes to their wedding photos. So that's why I have the associates. But the few weddings I have where they were crazy big budgets, yeah, they go all out for that. Um, for example, I had a Harry Potter wedding this year where um, I am not exaggerating on the things that they did. But like, for example, the Harry Potter touch they had was they didn't tell anyone where the venue was going to be at. Instead, they had everyone go to a train station and they rented out like five carts on a train and they took everyone into the, uh, the everyone rode the train in and they decorated like nine, three, fours, whatever. And they had everyone ride the train into the venue. And uh, that was just to start the wedding. Wow. The entire place was decorated with like wands all over the place, hanging from the ceiling, flying keys hanging from the ceiling all over the place. They had uh, banners decorated down each aisle, showing each of the houses. Um, one of the kids, the the the, the sons of the uh, couple, he literally made a project where he programmed the sorting hat. Have you ever seen the sorting hat from Harry Potter? Where if you've never seen the movies, there's a hat where they put it on people's heads and the hat will then announce what house they're in. They had everyone have QR cards with their uh, table seats on it. <laughs> and it didn't tell them where it didn't on the card. It didn't tell them where they're sitting. But if they scanned it on the sorting hat, it would then announce their table. <laughs> so, so good. Yeah. And on top of all this, when all said and done, they had all that decorations. And to top it all off the bride, she surprised her husband with owls to appear at the wedding. <laughs> and they had owl takers and they, people can take photos uh, near the owls, which adds a heads up, brings up to the specializing thing. Going back to that, because the only reason why she even thought of bringing owls to the wedding was because I wrote that guide, the Harry Potter guide. Right. Yeah, because in that guide, I randomly mentioned, hey, there's these guys in England that will like take your ring and they'll put it on an owl and the owl will fly it down the aisle and deliver it for you uh, uh, during your wedding. Of course, they couldn't find anyone that could do that in Connecticut, but they were like, oh my God, we have to have owls at our wedding. Henceforth, they went out, <laughs> found a place, and then they got uh, owl keepers for their wedding as a surprise. So good. Like amazing. Okay, right. So it really is varied. It sounds like you're in the best spot, the best of all worlds there where you are in Connecticut. Let me take you back to your website because you said earlier that, you know, once you got to that 20 leads per month, you knew that, okay, this could work or this has the potential to go ahead full time. What came first, the leads or the marketing or the website? Like how were you bringing those leads in? What were you doing to get those? 
so it was a combination of doing a bunch of different things at once and then kind of figuring out what worked best for me. Going back to that course I mentioned before, um, Ben Hartley's uh, course, he teaches a lot about being everywhere. <laughs> and then like, it's hard for people to ignore you. So um, that's kind of what I did, essentially. Long story short, I built a website, uh, rebranded and everything like that. But during this entire time when I was rebranding, which took honestly a good five to six months, I was doing a whole bunch of different things to slowly build a lot of things. I made a Facebook group where the Facebook group is all about finding your Connecticut wedding venue. So it's actually getting folks very early in the process of planning out their wedding and stuff like that. And if they see a lot of photos from me, they see a lot of articles from my website and then kind of gets in the back of their mind that, oh, I'm a business again, kidding me. They should check me out when they uh, look for their weddings and stuff. So that helped out a ton. It didn't initially get me a ton of leads, uh, to be brutally honest. That was something that took a very long time. But I did start the group about a year and a half, two years ago, and now it's at about 1.5K members in it. I have people that are joining it every single day. It's a great lead source now at this point where I would say at least once a week, once every other week, I have someone reaching out to me being like, hey, I saw you on the site. I'm reaching out to you. And uh, also, by the way, thank you for helping me find my venue. Like I saw one of your articles and it was super helpful. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that was one lead source. So just with a group, are the members of the group helping each other as well? Or are they relying on you for all the content? Both. So what happens is, is that what I did was that I intentionally didn't allow other vendors into the group. But if any vendors were going to be led in the group, they were either people I knew, people that I saw constantly in other groups, and they were always being helpful and they weren't being self-promoting. They were actually answering questions and stuff. And the third thing is uh, venue owners. So nowadays, whenever people ask questions in the group, typically what happens is like the venue owners will be like the first people to answer. And then I'll show my expertise by usually answering folks in extreme depth, <laughs> which is like uh, an example would be like if someone's like, hey... I'm trying to find a wedding venue where I need 80 people to be able to fit there. There needs to be overnight accommodations and I hate barns. <laughs> so while most folks would sit there and be like, oh, go to Meadowbrook Barn or go to Wet Barn Museum, whatever. I would then sit there and be like, hey, answer these other five questions for me. And I'll come up with a list of like six places for you. And I'll even write a description on each one and I'll link you to every single one of their sites and stuff like that. So that then at the end of the day, people are like, oh, he's really helpful. <laughs> like everyone else is helping out. But like once Gary answers, like you're going to get like a serious answer where he's spent time <laughs> figuring it out for you. So you don't literally know the answer when they ask a question, you've got to actually go away and do some research. Here's the funny thing, just like with the whole specializing with uh, the Harry Potter weddings and stuff like that. At first you are doing a lot of research, but over time you then just know. <laughs> so it's a after answer, like, cause this is like something where I, I answer one of these questions probably every day, every other day. And after doing that for a year, year and a half, two years, I know <laughs> a lot about the venues out in this area where it's like, all right, you need a 250 guest wedding spot that is near a body of water that has white walls on the inside because of matching decorations. And uh, you don't want to spend over 15K. All right. You probably want to go to like, I don't know, Merlot on the water. <laughs> Something like wow. that. So, um, but yeah. So you become the expert. So with that, if one of the venue owners says, hey, pick me, you know, we're perfect. Will you actually go in there and say, well, yeah, they're good, but you've also got this, this and this. Like, will you override or go against what one of your members say? I don't. So what I do do and I don't do is I don't, um, let's say hypothetically, if someone says, I don't want a barn and then a barn venue answers and say, hey, come to me. I don't go under their comments and say, nah, screw this venue. <laughs> this is a bad choice. This is a bad choice for you. I don't do that. But what I would do is that when I write my own comment, I will list my own places that I would suggest. I don't undermine other folks' responses. But yeah, I do see that a lot <laughs> where the people are like, eh, I don't want a barn. And then like five barn venues answer, being like, hey, check me out. I'm like, that's right. you're wasting your time. <laughs> and do you get other members in the group saying, to the barn owners, hey, can't you read the initial question? They don't want a barn and you're a barn. Do people do that? And if they do, do you moderate that comment? Surprisingly, I've not seen it yet. <laughs> now that you mentioned it, I'm actually surprised I haven't seen it yet. So, but yeah, the worst things I have to moderate in the group are just folks that randomly that somehow got in that are trying to self-promote or... um uh, and that's pretty much it. That, that's like the most I have to moderate on a day-to-day -day basis, which isn't a lot, to be honest. As long as you do your due diligence of actually looking at who joins the group, that solves 99% of your problems when it comes to moderating afterwards. Absolutely. Got it. 
Okay, mate, let's move on. So you said the group's working now, but it wasn't in the beginning. What was working in the beginning? So a few things were working in the beginning. I was in several other places. I was also one of those folks where I wouldn't always recommend this for folks, but if you're kind of desperate for leads, you know how like Facebook groups, they'll be like, hey, I'm looking for a wedding photographer. And then people respond to it and stuff like that. And absolutely every wedding photographer responds to it within a, a 500 mile radius. And within about 10 minutes, there's about 500 responses to a request. So as a heads up, when folks say like, hey, don't do that. It's a waste of time. It is and it isn't. It is a waste of time if you're just responding to something like two days later and you don't feel like you're a good fit for them. What I usually do is I personally vet every single one of those posts I see. I actually look at the person's profile and I actually see like, hey, is this person even a slight bit geeky? Like, is this something where they even might be interested in at all? And usually if the person's a decent fit or if something that they said aligns with my brand heavily, like if they say, hey, I feel like I'm going to be incredibly awkward in front of the camera. That's my brand too, because a part of my brand is doing games and acting prompts instead of standard poses and stuff. So um, if anything that they said aligns with my brand, and if they look at my website, they'll be like within seconds, they'll be like, oh yeah, that is exactly what I'm looking for. Then I'll respond. And the good thing about that is a lot of folks uh, say like, yeah, but they don't really check me out when I write that. That is true. And as like, I would say like, no joke. I wish I was like, I wish the numbers were better, but this is probably like a worst case scenario. I probably get like one response out of 10 times I do those comments. Maybe the good thing about it is that over time, if you do that an okay amount and you respond properly and you also address their concerns and problems and stuff, it's one of those things where you'd be surprised at how many other people see those posts and they see those comments. And you'd be very surprised because I get comments all the time when, Okay, here's something that's weird. It's not out of the ordinary for me to go to a wedding and be working with another couple. But then one of the guests is just like, dude, Gary, you helped me out the other day. And I'm like, what? All right. <laughs> or like, they'll be like, hey, Gary, like I actually saw your comment about like on someone else's thing. And I reached out to you like a week ago about it. And like, I can't wait to talk to you. Like that happens way more often than you'd expect Wow, um, because of that. So that by having your very specific brand and target audience, it makes it easier for you to pick and choose who you comment to, how you comment. I mean, it is a shotgun approach, but it's a targeted shotgun approach, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And it also boils down, besides just being like uh, highly, um, extremely specific on the type of clients I work with and stuff like that, that helps a lot when it comes to people noticing me, especially out of the crowd. Like if there's a hundred people that post, they'll see that one person who's just like, oh, well, this person didn't just copy and paste a typical response. They answer the question and they also fit the brand and all this other stuff. So it stands out. I stand out like a sore thumb. But also what helps out is that besides just answering those questions, I also answer a lot of formal questions as well, where uh, informal questions where people are asking questions like they're like, hey, it's not just about wedding venues either. It's not even about wedding photography either. Someone could be asking about DJs and I'll be like, hey, photographer here, as someone who also used to DJ back in the day, which I actually did, I would highly recommend these DJs. And the thing is that when you show up more in groups like that, you'd be surprised at how many people see that stuff like they see me all the time. And it's one of those things where, like I said before, people <laughs> come run up to me and talk to me all the time about how much I help them out in the group and stuff. So yeah, being present helps a lot. <laughs> right. So you were doing a lot of that in the early days. Yes. I still do a decent amount of it now. I'm trying to pull back a bit because I would rather be focusing on SEO and growing that because if I step away from my computer for three months, SEO is still going to be working for me, but responding <laughs> to comments is going to eventually kind of dwindle down a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that is my main source of leads at the moment. So in the early days, though, I mean, it still sounds like you haven't said, uh, you know, I ran Facebook ads, I went to bridal or wedding expos, or um, is that what you call them in the States, expos? Yeah, bridal expos, bridal shows. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Okay, so how did you get these 20 leads a month? So I was doing those as well, but they weren't as effective, I would say. For example, when I ran ads, everyone tries to do the typical ads where it's like, hey, buy my stuff. Hey, here's 10% off or something like that. Um, those didn't necessarily work for me. I would rarely get leads from those directly. I would see more engagement with me responding to things in Facebook groups and what was giving me traction to Facebook ads. Now, I will say this. This is one thing that did work with me when it came to Facebook ads, and that was just being uh, focusing on more brand awareness I wasn't exactly trying to get a lead from that ad. It was just, hey, remember my name. 
run my face, <laughs> run my business name. And those work really well uh, because like, for example, I would run ads pointing to my Harry Potter guide and you'd be surprised at how actually naturally organic that that actually grew from me running those ads. I think last time I ran those ads, I got like a hundred likes on it or something like that. And like <laughs> every day I would get a comment with someone's just like, Hey, Susan, check out this guide. If only you could have used this a month ago and like stuff like that. So pointing out to like helpful things like that, helpful information that worked like a ton when it came to building organic growth. Of course, like I said before, it's hard to explain, but I'm not getting direct leads from it. But one thing I always saw that was very common was for someone to mention, hey, they saw my ad with that guide and it was so useful. And that's actually how I kind of heard about you and then went down this rabbit hole <laughs> other than checking you out for the next uh, like three to four months or whatever before I decided to reach out to you. Um, it's one of those things where that happened a lot. <laughs> so it looks like you take a very soft approach. I mean, I expected when I clicked on your Harry Potter guide that I would have to opt in and then you're going to send it to me, but it's actually all there on the page. It's not locked away. You're not only giving halfway, you've got the whole guide there. Yeah, I didn't want to lock anything up because of SEO purposes. The second you lock it up behind SEO, uh, lock it up, then yeah, people can opt in, they get the guide, they can have it in their emails and they can be reaching out to you and stuff like that. And I'll be honest, it may actually technically work better for getting direct leads because you're getting those emails and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's not as shareable because they have to opt in and stuff. And also it's not going to rank in SEO and with Harry Potter things, you'd be surprised. There's a decent amount of tracks you give it Harry Potter related things and also just other things in general, but it's uh, one of those things where I want attraction there as well. Right. So you keep saying SEO, has that sort of overtaken your other lead generation efforts? Yes. It's definitely have taken over my efforts in terms of results. Not yet. <laughs> similar, similar to when I started with the whole uh, Facebook group stuff and that's slowly growing. And then now at this point now, it's actually giving me a good amount of traction now without me having to really do much for it at all. That's the same thing which I want to do with SEO at this moment. And I've been doing a lot of work with that um, going as far as to, I wish I was joking, but I spent like at least 10 K on SEO and I've learned a lot, <laughs> learned a whole lot from that. A lot of mistakes. You paid an agency or you did courses? No. So what I actually ended up doing was I hired writers and I hired a web developer to kind of like, because I was getting so much writing done, I hired a web developer to then also put the things that the writers were writing onto the blog post as well. So long story short, I had a team. I literally had a team of about five different folks that were working on my website. And I wish I was exaggerating this. I wish I was exaggerating this. But in Connecticut, I wrote about, well, I didn't technically write, but my writers wrote about 90 or 100 wedding venues. I think I only have about 85 of them published at the moment. And then we went as far as to also write about Massachusetts, which is another about 80 to 90 wedding venues. Rhode Island, another 80 or 90 wedding venues. Uh, New York, another 80 or 90 wedding venues, and even Texas, because I was thinking about moving to Texas in a couple of years. And I was like, you know what? I want to get ahead of this. So I wrote about Texas wedding venues, and that's like another 50 or 60. And the funny thing is, is that if you look at my site, you'll be like, hey, I don't see those other wedding venue sites. And I'm like, I didn't upload them yet. I didn't. <laughs> all I had to do is hit a publish button, they'll, they'll be online. And that's all because I want to one, see how it worked in Connecticut and then transfer what I learned and stuff like that into other states. But um, also, it's one of those things where it's like, I want to master Connecticut. And then after I get my SEO working in Connecticut, then I could grow into other places once uh, Google isn't so, is not going to say like, hey, why are you being in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, all these other states? I'd rather just focus on one Google recognizing me for one place and then I can expand from there. Right. Okay. So you got your writers to write articles or blog posts on each of the different venues in Connecticut, for example. You've added photos to those. Yep. And this is to bring... SEO traffic to your website. Are you actually seeing any results yet or does this take a long time? So, okay. So this entire, I make it almost seem like it was a waste of time. It wasn't. It's just that I guess I did too much work. I guess is the best way to put it. I could have saw just as good a result with less work because what I ended up seeing was that, yes, I am seeing a ton of results. I think last year I'd have to double check my numbers, but I wouldn't be shocked if last year my average like monthly views was like around like 300 views or something like that. While this year, my average views per month is like, I don't know, at least like a good two and a half grand, three grand or something like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I get a decent amount of views nowadays. It's just that 
when it comes to ranking for my main keywords, that's one of my bigger struggles because I am ranking for a lot of different wedding venue things. Like I'm on like page one for some page two for another. I might have images on the front page for others or what have you. Or um, when you look up particular phrases for wedding venues have, I'll pop up first for them and stuff like that. So I'm getting like a lot of little bits of traffic in random spots and it adds up over time because it's literally, like I said, it's like a hundred articles. <laughs> so it, it does add up, but it is one of those things where the reason why it's, I could have done less work with better results is that to get my main keywords, I could have done different things such as like focusing more on backlinks and uh, focusing more on um, uh, specific articles for my area and stuff like that to focus on instead. Right. So for example, if you wanted to rank for Connecticut wedding photographer, then that's going to take more work and more effort if you just uh, focused on that term. Exactly. Just like before with the other thing, I did a shotgun approach as opposed to like focusing on one little thing. It's working out for me in the end, but like I said, could have went about it differently. Right. So if you were to relive what you spent again, for example, you had $10,000. If I gave you $10,000 to spend on SEO, what would you do today? So easily, what I would have done is, is that instead of writing about 100 uh, wedding venues... Premium members of Photobiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. We can talk about it in the Photobiz X members group when this goes live. If you're using it then, that'd be awesome. Okay. Gary, you've been amazing. I've had a ball talking to you. I expected to hear this one strategy that was working for I didn't expect it to be just be helpful. (laughs) I mean, who would have guessed? Amazing. Where is the best place for a listener to see more of you and your work? Um, Yeah. If you want to actually see my work itself as a wedding photographer, you definitely should check me out at uh, www.lovelongandprosperphotography.com. And it's Love Long and Prosper Photography on pretty much all my socials. Also, as a heads up, I am actually starting up because I did start out doing a board game YouTube channel. I am actually starting up a YouTube channel as well. And that actually should probably be up within the next like week or two or something like that with a couple episodes already done and everything. And that's actually going to be at Gary Pope Jr. You can just look me up on YouTube and actually translated my old board game YouTube channel into this. So if you see some board game stuff, when you first see it, you're in the right spot. So, um, but yeah, it's Gary Pope Jr. So why Gary? And I'm going to link to all these in the show notes, but I'm curious now, why use Gary Pope Jr. there and not, you know, love long and prosper? Because I wanted to separate it. I don't want my clients to see it. And then they see it and they're like, oh, are these like going to be like my wedding videos and stuff like that? It's like, no, this is actually going to be more for like tips, tricks, education. Also, I'd like to do like stupid things. And like, for example, like with the whole story about the 10K, uh, me spending 10K on my SEO. It's like one of those things where I like, I want to do other stupid experiments like that, where it's like, oh, let's see if this dumb <laughs> this tactic that folks may not try out would actually work. And I kind of want to go down that rabbit hole trying those sort of little things. Love it. Okay. So this is going to be more for photographers than for your potential clients. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Got it. Okay. Well, let me know the link to that. I'll include that in the show notes and, and we can talk more about that in the group when this goes live. Gary, you've been amazing. I'm so glad we connected. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing what you have. It's been a pleasure. Andrew is thank you for having me. Like I talked in the pre-show. I've been a fan of your show for years now at this point. I've been loving it. So keep doing it. It's, 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 it's uh, I need something to listen to on those rides to these weddings. So thank you. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Gary as much as I did. Gary, if you are listening, again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you did. Congratulations on your success. I love your enthusiasm, and it was so, so good to have you on the show. For you, the listener, I do hope there were a ton of takeaways from what Gary had to share. Was there something that he did say that you thought, yes, absolutely, I can implement that and use that in my business? If there is, I'd love to hear about it. I know Gary would too. I'd also love to hear your thoughts on his approach to Facebook. Is he pushing the boundaries? Is it a safe and good way to go in your view? Would you emulate what he's doing? Let me know your thoughts on that and anything else that Gary had to share. You can do that in the comments area of the show notes. This week, they are at photobizx.com forward slash 499. The comments area is at the very bottom of the show notes. And also on that show notes page, You'll find links to anything and everything that Gary mentioned. You'll find examples of his beautiful work. It's all there in that one spot. And I would urge you to go and check out his website. It really is very, very cool. 
So again, that's all at photobizx.com forward slash 499. And of course, if you are a premium member, I'll be adding Gary into the members Facebook group. So you'll have easy access to him there. Maybe you've got a follow up question for him. We just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing what you did. You can do that inside the members Facebook group. Just before I close out today's episode of the podcast, if you are an Adelaide-based photographer, I do have to give you big apologies for not organizing a catch-up. I really, really wanted to. I was in Adelaide last week for the Tour Down Under. I got sick during the week. I still feel uh, blocked up right now. You might even hear it in my voice. I still managed to get out there and ride every day, but the afternoons and mornings were just, yeah, I, I didn't think it was the best thing to be out there and socializing. And plus, you really didn't want to sit down with me over a beer while I'm sniffing and snorting <laughs> trying to get past this cold. So massive apologies for not organizing something last week. I hope we can catch up again in the future. On the positive side, I did rack up over a thousand kilometers on my bike in the last eight days, which is probably part of the reason why I did get sick. <laughs> we had a, a fantastic time. I don't think I even had a beer the whole week, which is a first for me. It probably has a lot to do with Adam, who I was rooming with, well, sharing an Airbnb with. He's an absolute nutter when it comes to the bike. He stayed out longer on most days than I did, and I did a thousand Ks. He did way more. He's absolutely crazy when it comes to kilometers on the bike. And I'm a bit worried about spending a month or two with him later in the year when we head back over to Spain and France for some more cycling. Yeah, I think I've got to prepare myself to get sick already or just say no. I need to say no when he keeps asking to do more kilometers. Alrighty, look, that is it for this week of the podcast. Hope you got a ton from what Gary had to share. Don't forget to check out the upcoming training if you are interested in becoming a pet photographer or adding pet photography to what you're currently shooting, there are more details about that at photobizx.com forward slash learn pet photography with Kirsty McConnell. Hope to see you on that one. Otherwise, I will catch you next week with another interview. Well, actually, it's a special episode next week, so it's not an interview. It's episode 500. So look out for that one next week. All right, until then, stay safe, healthy, and well, and I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 